You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. This session is entitled Training Effective Youth Workers with Brother Kerry Schmidt. Brother Schmidt has served as an associate pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church for over 20 years where he oversees the student ministries. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The pattern we see here is that God puts us into ministry, yes, to do the ministry, but what's one of our primary responsibilities? It's to develop people so that they will serve in the ministry, so that the whole body, the local church, can be edified. Okay? And that's, that's God's plan, whether your church has 10 people or 10,000 people. Uh, God does not want us to do ministry alone. He wants us to be training others to do the ministry with us. And the benefit of that is that the body is, and this is interesting to me, that the, the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body, apparently the people that you train have something to bring to ministry that will edify the body in a way that you don't, if, we, if I might say that, okay? In a way that, I mean, we are, the point is, I am not the single solution for the Lancaster Baptist student ministry. I don't need to be uh, the, the man of student ministry. I, there's a team here, and I can't be. I, I, even if it's just a few kids or a handful of families, we're always better when there's multiple people edifying a, a, a group of lives. And I, you stop and think about your own life and how, why you stayed faithful to God and what caused you to fall in love with serving the Lord and what caused you to turn out. You probably wouldn't point to just one person. Uh, now, there may be a key person, your, your, your father or some key mentor or something, but you think about it, there's pro- God probably brought a group of people around you that he used to challenge you, shape you, mold you, and even inspire you to serve God. Uh, I, one of the things my parents did when I was a teenager is every time our church had a college tour group from any kind of Christian college or any kind of extension ministry that came through or the college students that were home on the weekends to do extension ministry, my, my parents were always people in the church that said, well, we'll let them stay at our house or we'll have them over for tacos or pizza after the service. That's just the way they were at that moment in my life. And so about every Sunday night or sometimes in the summer, every weekend through the summer, um, I, there was Bible college students at my house. And they were joyful and serving God and looking forward to serving God. And being around those people challenged me. Now, I had a youth pastor, and I had a pastor, and I had good parents. But there were other people that God brought around me and in my life that that were used to edify me, okay? And so the big picture here is that um, God wants you 
to be developing others that will serve with you, and the benefit of that is your whole youth group is stronger and their families are stronger. You're building, essentially, we talked in the last session about parents. As you build a youth ministry team, you are building a group of people committed to helping parents and complementing parents and strengthening uh, the relationships between teens and parents. And you, it, uh, the benefits of this are huge, spiritually for your kids, for your whole church family, for the people that are serving. I, I'll, I'll touch on this quickly because there's a few people that weren't here last hour. Um, my parents were taken through a youth workers training course not long after we got saved. The youth pastor invited them to be youth workers. He did exactly what I'm going to teach about right now, and he took them through this training course. I happened to find this in my dad's library a few years ago. It's 33 years old. And it has all of my parents' notes and from the training time that the youth pastor took them through. And this is meaty stuff. This isn't, you know, uh, sit in the back of the bus on activities and make sure nobody says a cuss word. This is philosophy. This is um, what do liberal churches do in youth ministry and what do biblical churches do in youth ministry and what are our goals in youth ministry and why and what the youth culture, the history of youth culture. Um, there's one in here that I just loved. Um, okay, our response to youth culture. There's three responses. The liberal response, total conformity. The neo-evangelical approach, blend secular culture with Christian culture into some sort of acceptable range of you know, deviation. And the fundamental approach, secular culture is nothing like a biblical lifestyle. They, they stand apart. Well, my dad was a new Christian learning this stuff because the, the youth pastor took them through and, and trained him. My dad ended up a year or two later teaching the senior high in that church for about seven more years. And uh, not only did, did, he, did, did that help the youth ministry there, my dad became a real uh, avid Bible student uh, and a good teacher. He, he learned how to be a father from this type of stuff and mentored me and trained me. And, and the other benefit was that I started attending youth activities at an independent Baptist church youth group and Bible study and, and trips and camps when I was about eight years old. So I, I was just around. I just hung around a really good youth ministry. And little did they know at the time that I would end up being in youth ministry. But the benefits of you building, enlisting people and building them and training them and, and calling together a, a team of youth workers are far-reaching okay, and generational in their impact. And I just believe that's the model that God wants us to function with. Take a look at, real quick, the reasons for building a youth ministry team. We're called to perfect the saints. Our teens need multiple influences. Are you okay if a teenager is closer to a youth worker than they are to you? I mean, you need to be okay with that. If you're going to build a team, and that's a good thing. There are kids in our youth group, we have right now, you know, when we started, there, were, there was me and my wife and another couple. And that's all we had. We had about 30 kids in the youth group, and it was four of us. And then I added another couple, so there were six of us. So don't misunderstand, I'm not saying you've got to have 80 people or something like that. I, I don't know what size church you're coming from, what size youth group, I just know these principles apply to everybody. If I had 10 kids, I'd probably get me and my wife and another couple, at least another couple. And I may enlist a Bible college student in the summer, or I may try to get some other folks involved. 
I, I want, and you should want, multiple voices, multiple influences on those kids, reinforcing the same message. And it's okay if a particular kid connects better with that youth worker than with you. There's different personality types. There's lots of kids in our youth group that would rather go out to lunch with Larry Chapel than with me. Uh, they, they, I like to teach Wednesday night Bible study to the senior high. Uh, I think they like me to teach Wednesday night Bible study. I had Brother Chapel do a three-week series not long ago, and I sat outside and listened, and uh, the kids responded very well to him too. And I got in the car with my son, and I said, so, you like Brother Chapel to teach Bible study? He said, oh, yeah, I love to hear Brother Chapel. I was like, no, not, not really. I mean, I was glad he said that. But as a parent, for my own son, I'm glad that I'm, I'm not the only worker in the youth group. I'm glad there's other people in this ministry that are, that are, that are helping. But it's okay if there's going to be some kids that connect better with a volunteer youth worker than with me or with another youth pastor than with me. And my goal, if my goal is the, is the best interest of the kid, the spiritual strength and stability of this young life, I don't care who they connect with if it's helping them spiritually. Uh, and whatever it takes to get them connected to grow in Christ, then that's okay. And obviously I'm talking about appropriate connections. I'm not talking about a, a layman who's, you know, becoming some sort of de facto, you know, guru to them. And I, It's all in the bounds of authority and under the chain of structure and, and all that sort of thing. So, our teens need multiple influences. Number three, we need help in God's work. How many of you have more to do than you can do? I mean, really? And there's, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a benefit to having six people that help you in youth ministry, and when you enlist them, you look at, you know, I hate preparing for youth activities. Now, don't take me wrong, okay? I like youth activities, and I love teenagers, and I love teaching the Bible teenagers. I hate Buying hot dogs, buying sodas, getting a grill ready, lining up a bus driver, filling water balloons, you know, this stuff. And I, I, I can't remember the last time, really, that I did much of it, um, going back to when our youth group had 30 kids. Uh, because I don't like to shop, at Costco especially. But do you know there's a lady at your church that she, like, it's like, God at Costco. It's like, you know, if she could go to church or Costco, it's a close call, you know. Uh, she loves, I mean, there are ladies at our church, I think they spend, you know, dozens of hours a week at Costco. They like to buy stuff at Costco. And that lady could save you enormous amount of time. You could put more time into your Wednesday night Bible study or into the program of your, or into personal discipleship of teens because you're not buying sodas and hot dogs and lining up grills and, and snacks. Uh, you could spend your time doing that, but I don't recommend that you do it. Because while you're doing it, there's probably five other things I could tell you right now that would be better use of your time. And there's probably somebody in your church that would love to do that. And if it's something as goofy as filling up water balloons, get the teens to do that themselves. You know, I mean, they'll have a good time putting them together and then messing them up in the activity and all everything in between, you know. Uh, you reserve, part of getting a team is getting folks on board that can, and, and you're not using people, you're letting people be used. 
And you're simply letting them do things they enjoy. I'm not saying bring somebody in and slap all the, you know, all the grunt work on them so you can go play golf. That's not what I'm saying, okay? If that's what you do, then God help you because that's the whole wrong mentality. There's just somebody that probably would love to do something for the Lord that you don't need to do and you can do something more important and more valuable. And so building a team is a big part of that. Uh, teams accomplish more than individuals. You're just going to see God do more in their lives. And the church body should be multiplying leaders. That's how we should function. And then finally, you increase your contribution to the church and the ministry when you involve people. I want you to, uh, most of us in here are not senior pastors. Uh, I want you to, to, to take off the youth pastor or assistant pastor mentality for a minute. Just imagine you're a pastor and you are really responsible for the whole church body and you're, you're paying a staff member. Uh, and that staff member is taking a paycheck every week and you are worried every week about how are the offerings and how are people doing because if people aren't doing well, they're going to they're gonna get away from God. If they get away from God, they're going to stop tithing. If they stop tithing, the financial pressure mounts. You can't pay your staff. You can't provide the things you'd like to provide. And so there, there is this very real, constant pressure on a pastor of, yes, everybody's spiritual condition, and are they doing well? And the secondary outflow of that is, is the sustenance of the ministry and God providing for the ministry. And, and let's, let's boil it down. God speaks to open hearts. Open hearts make decisions to tithe and to live faithfully. The tithe comes in, and a check is written to pay you. Okay, so somebody's spiritual health is directly connected to whether the church can keep you on board doing the work of God. When you get somebody involved, and when you personally, when the youth pastor 31 years ago took Lance and Joe Schmidt aside as new Christians and said, I'd like you to be youth workers, here's the commitment, here's the vision, here's what God can use you to do, and let me train you. And they said yes, and he inspired them and then he met with them and mentored them. That youth pastor made that family stronger. That family stayed strong and tithed, which helped lift the pastor's whole burden, and it made that youth pastor contributed. It, it, it increased the value he was adding to the ministry. And at that level, you are, you are adding tremendous value, and you are lifting a tremendous burden Though this is the moment you are really pulling some weight. When the pastor can step back and see people you've led to Christ that are faithful in the church are growing, or people you have come alongside and begun to disciple and draw into ministry and involve, you are now adding. You are now contributing and significantly pulling weight, and you're paying for yourself. And I understand it's all the Holy Spirit, and God brings the fruit, and all of that. But it sure does a pastor good when he can see that you're contributing that God is using you to pull some weight and to help people do well. And enlisting people in the ministry does, does the whole church good because they're serving God. I've had dozens of people tell me, you know, I, I, I got saved here and I grew and it was all good, but something dramatically happened when I got involved in ministry. That's when I got really committed. That's when I began to really experience dynamic growth in my faith and serving God. I've had people in the orchestra tell me that. People in the choir tell me that. People in the youth ministry tell me that. That they grew exponentially when they were enlisted into ministry. So, number one, I want to encourage you to annually, I, I should skip through, here we go, annually enlist 
youth workers. Just put this on your plan. Put it on your calendar. Maybe you do this twice a year. I don't know. Uh, but have a time in the year, maybe at the end of the summer, ramping into the fall, would be a good time. On your calendar. July, August, start praying over and thinking about who would be good to add to the youth ministry this fall. But have a process where every year, a couple times a year at least, or once a year at least, you start going through and thinking, okay, I'm going to really work to enlist folks, even if it's just one or two people. Let's look at this. Who should you look for? Faithful, consistent Christians, someone with strong commitment and maturity, someone loyal to the church, the pastor, uh, and the vision, someone you have prayed about for some time uh, and seeking God's leading, someone the pastor approves prior to talking to them. Don't go talk to somebody, hey, I'd like to have you in youth ministry sometime. Ah, that's dangerous. Because then you're going to go to the pastor and, and he knows that that guy just cheated on his wife three months ago and he's been counseling them. And you do not want that guy in youth ministry. And you think he's just Joe, great Christian. But the pastor knows some other situation. And the pastor says, no, he's not, he's not ready. Then what do you do? Because now this guy's thinking he's going to be in youth ministry. You've got to go back and backpedal. And if you're really lame, you're going to go, yeah, pastor said no. That's real bad, you know. Uh, but you don't speak to anybody without talking and, and getting, you know, pr- uh, the approval. Because the pastor's got to answer for that. And if the pastor says no, just accept that. Don't, don't talk. Why? Well, why? What's wrong with him? There's lots of people over the years the pastor has told me, no, they're not, not ready. And he can't tell me all the reasons why. I don't care. Who cares? I don't need to answer for that decision. He does. Um, someone with time and energy available. And we'll, we'll talk in, about the commitment in a little while. You're asking somebody, not just to, you know, assume a title. You're not asking somebody just to stand in a class. You're asking somebody to commit to investing into lives. And there's a substance to that commitment. It is a substantive commitment. It is, there's some things you're going to ask them to do on a regular basis, and they better have the energy, uh, and they better have the time willing to, to put into it. Um, who, who are you not, or someone with, with a burden to lead others, and then who are you not looking for? Someone who wants to have fun, or who, who you perceive as fun? Uh, someone who's made a lot of mistakes they want to help the kids avoid? You ever have somebody like that? I just have a burden for the youth. You know, he's got <laughs> piercings and tattoos. I just, you know, I really messed up. I just have a burden, you know. You keep that burden. You pray, you know. Uh, I, the people that approach me to be in youth ministry rarely are the kind of people that we would put in youth ministry. And I just let them know um, how we enlist people in ministry. And I say, you know, it's the same thing for ensembles and stuff. I say, um, you get these people that, you know, I just got to teach, I got to sing, I got to do this. And, and sometimes they're new, and I'll just say, hey, that, you know, it's wonderful that you want to do that. Um, we're, because it's youth, because they're minors, we're, we're very slow and deliberate and prayerful about enlisting uh, workers in this ministry, just like all of our ministries. And there's a lot of things around the church you could do to serve that you could do right now, you know. But youth ministry is something you have to wait and I'll be honest with you, the Lord has to place you on pastor's heart or my heart. It's not something that we just accept volunteers for. And, and usually somebody can accept that kind of explanation. If somebody gets torqued at that or you know, upset at that kind of explanation, they're just not all there anyway. You know, you're going to lose them about something. Um, we just don't have a lot of people that want to you know, thrust themselves into it. 
Um, someone who is spiritually immature, obviously. Someone whose parent, who parents could not trust. Someone who is pushy or wanting to teach. The most, one of the most vindictive men of, in the ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel. And he has, he has a handful of people, I could probably list five, who over the years, they're, they're former members, and they have not just left the church and gone to live their life. They have left the church with anger and resentment, and they didn't get to do what they wanted to do, and they've gone public, and just their life is somewhat of a crusade against him, online and on blogs and on whatever. And the single most outspoken, most angry, most vindictive man in this valley uh, towards Pastor Chapel was a man who for three or four years pressured me constantly that he had to teach a class. He was a Moody Bible Institute graduate. He, would, he had to teach a class. And I never did have a piece about him teaching a class. Um, and, and now it's easy to see why. There's, there's a lot of immaturity and, and uh, just, just even probably some some psychological dysfunctionality or something. He's just not a normal individual. Um, how do you enlist them? Let's talk about the process of enlisting them. And you'll see the, the, the list here. Pray, let the Lord lay someone on your heart. You might want to look through your church directory. That's what I did. I'd take the church directory out, just read through it, and ask the Lord to put someone on my heart. Watch them. Talk with them about, uh, talk with their spiritual mentors. Now, in our church, if I, if I saw somebody that I'm interested in having in youth ministry, I'd go to their adult class teacher or to Brother Christensen who might be aware of what class they're in. How are they doing? Have they done discipleship? Where are they at? Are they growing? Uh, talk to pastor about the possibility. I would bring them up in a leadership meeting where there's eight or ten guys. And, and it's not just pastor, by the way. There might be a guy down the table that saw that guy buying alcohol yesterday in, in Seder Brothers. And he would say, you know, I... I don't want to go into it, but he's probably not ready. Okay, that's all that anybody has to say at that table, and we just put it on hold. Um, After approval on all the above, set an appointment to meet with them. You might call them and say, hey, I'd like you to come over to my house, or I'd like to take you out to lunch, or could we meet at the church? I'd like to talk to you about an opportunity that I I, I think you guys would really enjoy. Um, Share your uh, youth ministry vision and values and opportunities with them. And that's really about inspiring them. It's, here's what we're doing, and here's how God, how God could use you. Ask them to pray about the opportunity. Don't, don't look for an answer the first time you meet. So what do you think? You in? That's weak. Let, let them pray about it. Let them mull it over. This is not something you just want to thrust somebody into. And, and I understand that small, small churches sometimes, there's very few workers to pull from, and we need a, we need a teacher. So sometimes there's... A little lower bar, but if you've got a, a pool of church members that you can choose from and you're not in a rush, to, you've got to have somebody right now, it's better to take your time with folks and just really let someone grow and let them really deliberate over, is this the right type of situation for them? For them. Ask them to pray about it. A, team with them with someone who knows the ropes at first. So it might be just you and them. They might come to your class and watch you teach the teens. They might take roll or hand out candy or whatever. Uh, you might take them soul winning and partner with them. But uh, let them learn the ropes with somebody. And then, number nine, give specific responsibilities to them, like visitation or calls or letters or helping with activities or shopping for sodas or, or other things in class that they could do. But, but uh, work every, every year to enlist, draw people in, and to build them. 
Our core youth workers right now are people that, for the most part, this is exactly what I did with them. We, we picked them. Some of our youth workers have been youth, in youth ministry for 18, 17, 18, 19 years now. Um, several of our couples, that their kids have all grown, and now they have kids, and, um, and they're still youth workers. And it, it's, it's very exciting, but I remember going back to the Schellenbergs and sitting down at my house or, uh, and talking to them about youth ministry and giving them a few weeks to pray about it. By the way, and I don't know if this is in here anywhere, but it's important that someone not get enlisted and then trapped. And this is, some, this is a weakness, notorious weakness of independent Baptist churches. Once you're enlisted in a ministry, bless God, you do it till you die. It doesn't matter whether you don't like it or it doesn't fit you or what. I mean, if you get out of that ministry, you are backsliding. And we, we have this mentality that if somebody's getting out of a ministry, they're getting away from God. And I understand the fear because a lot of times that's what's happening with somebody that's getting out of ministry. You know, I've got youth workers right now that have been in ministry, and then they'll take a break. Two years, three years, they'll be back in a couple's class and growing their marriage, and, and then their work schedule changes or whatever, they come back to me, or I'll say, hey, if you ever want to get back in, let me know. And, the, and they're back in. And I've had them get in and back, and I, I sit with them and say, is there anything going on? Are you sure this is not you drifting? A, not, I don't say it that strong. I, I say, is there, are you doing okay spiritually? Are, is there anything that's but do you realize you're going to enlist some people in youth ministry that they're going to get into it a month and they're not going to like it. They don't connect with teens. It's out of their... That it just doesn't work for them and they don't like it. And they need to know from the very first minute you enlist them, you're not trapped. If you ever feel like you need your adult class and, and you, you don't want to be in a teen class helping, if you ever feel like you need a couple's class, if you just need to take a break... Um, if, this, if you're into this two, three months from now and you're really not enjoying it, loving it, and, and just thriving, I want you to come tell me because there's probably another ministry you would enjoy. And I don't want you to feel stuck. We lose a lot of people because they feel stuck and they feel like their only way out is just to stop coming. And, and, and they're not equipped. Or we, we, We've, for years now, had people... Try to, we identify their spiritual gift. What is your spiritual gift? We don't put people that don't have the gift of teaching in as teachers. We try not to. Sometimes somebody just really wants to teach, and we, that's a hard thing to deal with. Um, we try to find out what is your gift, and then where's the best place for you to exercise and develop and, and use that gift for God. But if it doesn't work, come back, and we'll do another ministry. Somebody wants to get off a bus route or out of a nursery or something like that. We don't, we don't guilt them. We don't make them feel bad. Uh, if all they want to do is, here, here's the thing. They came to your church and they weren't doing anything. You're just glad they're there. You're just glad to see them and fellowship with them and disciple them. And then they get involved in ministry and they get tired maybe a year into it. And they want to come back to, I, want, I, I love being a youth worker, but I'd really like to be a church member again. I'd like, to, I'd like to come back to where I was and just enjoying and, 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 and receiving and, and, and then maybe I'll get in the ministry again and, and now we're mad at them because they're quitting on us. And maybe what they need is six months in adult class to, to, to be nurtured and, and to grow. and You know, maybe, God, maybe God's going to put you in charge of another ministry in six months and you're going to be able to work with that person in a different, in a different way. You just, just don't guilt people. If they need to take a break, I mean, that's real. It's not always backsliding, okay? 
Um, so annually enlist youth workers. The second dynamic here is begin regular training meetings. Um, you've got them enlisted now. And uh, now it's time to sit down with them and figure out how, what, what am I going to teach them? When am I going to teach them? How am I going to teach them? Let's take a look at the list. Why? We're commanded to. Effective workers, if they're going to do their job, you need to help them how. Know how. It forces me to define what I expect. It forces me to define the processes that youth ministry functions with. Okay, I, I'm not going to take somebody, hey, you want to be a youth worker? Hey, just come to class. Just have a good time. You know, I, I want them to know, here's what a youth worker does. Here's the time commitment. Here's what is expected of you as a youth worker. And it makes ministry more effective. How? Well, I would schedule regular meetings. We have two a year. I'll talk about those in a minute. Promote the meeting. Track attendance. Let them know when they become a youth worker. This is what's expected. You need to be at these training meetings. Prepare the materials. Outlines, forms, notebooks. Uh, I'll take this notebook and show you in a few minutes what we've used in the past. Um, prepare tools. Uh, we give them rosters of their class. We give them stationery. We give them email addresses, notebooks, visitation cards, maps, soul winning calls, curriculum. We give all kinds of stuff and put it all in their hands to say, here's the, the tools you're going to need to be a good youth worker at Lancaster Baptist Church. Finally, teach and train clearly on every responsibility you expect them to fulfill. And I put a list of things we've taught them over the years. How to lead a team to Christ, baptism, how to disciple, church workers' policies and procedures, uh, how to teach an interesting lesson, how to visit a teen, and on and on. I won't take the time to go through the list, but it's all listed there for you. Number three, conduct a weekly workers, teachers and workers meeting. And we don't do this every single week, but there is a spot on the calendar Every week, Wednesday night after church, it's about a 10-minute time slot that when we need to, we're going to have a youth workers meeting. And they're going to come in and we're going to give them new stuff or give them updates. Typically, it's just here's the announcements for this week in class and uh, we need you to make sure you cover this stuff. Anybody have a question? Anybody have a need? That sort of thing. It's important once you enlist people that you touch base with them. It's important, even if it's just a couple people. If it was me and my wife and another couple... Uh, we would simply just sit down at our home uh, or sit down in my office after church and, and talk about what, what's coming up or what needs to be done. So I encourage you to do that weekly. How to conduct this meeting, discuss upcoming events, answer questions, prepare for the weekend, hand out visits, calls. You're going to find your teachers and workers will come soul winning more frequently if you give them specific calls to go see, people to go see and follow up on. Um, Discuss the changes for the, uh, or weekend announcements. Pray for the ministry. Encourage and stay in touch with them. What do you prepare? There's a list of things. Number four, write this down. Encourage you to host periodic workers' fellowships. Hosting periodic workers' fellowships. Um, it's, when you're building a team, it's really important that it be a team, not just this you know, official capacity, we don't really care about each other, and I don't really want to know you, I just want you to work with teenagers. A, a big part of why those people get involved in ministry under you is because they like you, and they want to work with you, okay? Um, they want to hang out with you, they, they want to partner with you, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, not, not to the point that you're 
building them away from the pastor, but you ought to de- desire to build a strong relationship with your team of folks. And an important part of that is create some times every uh, so often where you and the youth workers just get together. And it could be as simple as having them over to your house and, and you have some fellowship and have a time of testimonies. It could be uh, planning a luncheon or an appreciation thing. It could be taking them out to dinner. We've done all this type of stuff with our youth workers, and uh, they appreciate it. Every Christmas, and our tradition now is every December, we have a big uh, youth workers Christmas party. And uh, right now we have 60 or 70 church member youth workers, not college student, uh, out-of-town students, but people that are members of our church. And we'll have them all to our house, and Dana will go to Costco, praise the Lord, and uh, we budget three or $400 for this, and she'll go spend uh, money on, on really good food. Um, and some of it she'll make, some of it she'll buy pre-made. And it's not pizza and sodas. It's, it's like a whole buffet of special stuff. And uh, we prepare a little gift for them. Sometimes it's a little popcorn tin or something like that, a little thank you note. And they all come over to the house, and we, we decorate the house. We set up tables, and, and we have some teen girls that come, and they, they serve. So the youth workers sit down, and the girls go around and refill drinks and stuff. And then when that's all done and everybody's kind of had some fellowship, we gather all kind of in one room or around one area, and we just go around the room and give testimonies. And we look back over the last year and what God's done in our classes and kids that got saved and how they're growing. And we cry, we laugh, we rejoice. Uh, we talk about how kids have changed, and we talk about burdens that kids are bearing and um, kids were praying for. And I'll try to come into that with some really neat stories of some of our graduates and what's going on in their lives. And I, a lot of times, I or a few of us in the youth ministry will get credit, so to speak. You know, A kid will stand up at graduation, for instance, and say, I just want to thank Brother Schmidt for the youth ministry. And I'll stand there with those youth workers and I'll say, I want you to know every time somebody says that, I think about all 60 of you, and I see six years and longer, I think of sixth grade and fifth grade Sunday school teachers, and I think of a whole army of a church family that has invested into that kid's life, and I know it's not me, I know it's all of us together, but the the fruit is to your account. And I'll talk to them about even some of the people that are giving testimonies tonight that are in the ministry who grew up here, and because those youth workers stayed faithful. We went to youth camp a couple weeks ago, and it's exciting our counselors, we took, from our church, we took about 70 adults to camp. Um, and about 60 of them were in our youth group at one point or another. And that is so cool. And this is really fun. I did this, we would go over the rules and stuff, and I didn't do this this year, but I did it the, last year. I said, now, teenagers, I want you to know something. When you get in trouble at camp or something, it's not that I'm mad at you, it's not that I don't like you, it's not that... Uh, that we're not pulling for you. I said, just watch this. I said, if you're an adult in this room and you ever got in trouble at teen camp, would you please stand? There's like a sea of adults. <laughs> and they're, now they're counselors, you know. Uh, and they stand all over the room. And we get a good kick, a laugh out of that about the stories that go back and some of the things that happen. I was listening to the Bible study Brother Chapel was teaching not long ago, and he was telling the kids about when he was at teen camp in ninth grade he and another couple boys had to run a hill. They got in trouble. We make them run this hill when they get in trouble because they were throwing water balloons and they broke a window to a cabin. And he was telling the kids how that he was sure for like the next three years that every time I looked at him, 
I was thinking about there's that kid that broke the window. But that's not really the case. You know, he was using that illustration. He didn't know I was listening. And uh, he was using that illustration. They were having a good laugh about it. I think the kids got a kick out of the fact that he had gotten in trouble with me, you know, because now we're like partners. We work together in the youth ministry. And I walked in after the Bible study, and I was talking to the senior hires. I said, yeah, boy, I hope that was a blessing to you guys. Both chapels a blessing. And I said, you know, there was one time. <laughs> and I started retelling the story. And he started laughing. You know, the kids started laughing. I'll never, because he said, oh, Bro Schmidt probably doesn't even remember it. And I said, I'll never forget this one time. It just totally undid the whole thing. It was really funny. It just happened to be that I was listening. But um, there's, uh, there's, there's something really special about gathering together with your youth workers and fellowshipping with them, sharing stories, and encouraging one another. If, if it was a handful of us, I'd take them to a Dodgers game or some, stuff like that, you know, youth activities for just the youth workers. We like those times because that's the one time we can really, like, joke about the teens. You know, we talk about how we really don't like them all that much. We can, we can actually, actually those times we do cherish because we can build relationships with each other without having to manage teenagers. And it is fun. And I'll tell you, there is a dynamic. It's a sacrifice for a layman to get involved in youth ministry at your church because they're not getting the adult social activity and, and relationships that they would get in an adult class. And so you cannot blame them, even if they stay on for two years, saying, hey, let me have a year off so I can go back to make some friends who are not chewing gum and uh, breaking out in pimples at 13. You know, I want adult conversation in this church, you know. I need some real, you know. So it's okay if, they, they, just recognize they do sacrifice that, and they do need that, and part of those fellowships provides that. Um, you see some of the things there, why to host these, how to host them. Um, and then number five, real quick, is just work at mentoring youth leaders one-on-one. Work at mentoring youth leaders one-on-one. And this could be out to lunch, out to dinner, over in your home, taking them soul winning. Why? Because they need to learn personally from you. Uh, It helps you stay in touch and know them. You can share personal encouragement and counsel. Everyone needs that personal touch. You can sit at a table with a youth worker and say, so, how is youth ministry going? Are you enjoying it? Uh, Do you want to continue doing it? Is there a way I can uh, help you better do it? Do you understand what your responsibility is? They need that, and you need to open up to them and ask them, how how can I do better to support you? Don't do that if you're not going to respond. Okay, the last thing you need is a guy says, yeah, I really need some curriculum, and then you never give it to him. But you need to sit down and speak transparently and let a guy open up. You need to know if that guy's having trouble controlling his class. You need to know if, if uh, he's really frustrated. Listen, you don't want a guy waking up on Sunday morning dreading going to church every week because he either doesn't want to do what he's doing or he doesn't know how to do it. And if that's happening, you need to hear it from him so you can either help him find a different ministry or train him and equip him to do the work that God wants him to do. Uh, I listed some ways of how to do this. Soul winning, personal appointment, open up for honest feedback, share your philosophy and how to, seek to understand how they're doing, ask about the challenges or areas of growth in their life. How can, you know, a great question to ask is, what's like the number one prayer request in your life right now? How can I pray for you and encourage you? How's your family doing? Things like that. Seek to resolve areas of frustration or discouragement. When you build a team, in a, in a large sense, you become 
one of your main roles is to remove obstacles that stand in the way of your team. You are the chief problem solver for your team. Uh, and that applies to any team that you lead. Any, 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 if you have a staff, if you have a secretary, I know guys that their secretary comes in and says, I have too much to do, and they go, well, deal with it. Excuse me, you're the one she works for. You're the problem solver. Well, I thought she was here to help me solve my problems. Well, that might be the case, but if, she, if she's crying so hard she can't read her notes, it's, she's probably not going to help you solve a lot of problems. A lot of times, you've got to solve her roadblocks so she can continue to help you solve problems. And that's the case with any team you lead. You become chief problem, problem solver for your team. Sometimes, especially coming into conferences and, and events and big things that we've been working on, I'll just get up and I'll, I'll tell the secretary, I'm going to go downstairs and, and just check in with everybody. And there's, I have this little route that I walk all through the offices and check in with the people that give account to me. And it never fails. I could take that walk. You, you pick the time of the day, just random. I could just walk into office after office after office. And... It ends up, what, what I thought might be 10 minutes ends up being 30 or 40. And at every office, there was some roadblock hindering progress on something that this person wasn't asking me about or emailing me about. And just the fact that I showed up in their office, oh, you know, glad you're here. What about the, you know, or I'll say, hey, what are you working on? And uh, some people hate that question. I know I was going to about to be soon working on something, but um, a lot of times what they're working on right now was trying to solve a problem that you sit there and go, oh, well, just, no, 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 just do this. Oh, really? Yeah, just done. Yes, no big deal. Just do that. Oh, great. And you literally, in three seconds, saved them 45 minutes of going. I'll give you one illustration. Last, we have had a time with videos for this conference. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but suffice to say, the team uh, didn't function the way it should have. And uh, for years, I mean, I've, I've helped with these videos, been a part of them. They're not hard to do. Uh, they're just time-consuming. And um, there's, there's a lot of research and a lot of development, writing, and stuff that goes into it. And uh, we've got a video that's going to show tonight that should have been done last Monday. It really should have been done last Monday. I mean, everything was in hand, all the pictures, all the narration, everything was ready to go. It just needed to be assembled. And um, the process of video editing uh, broke down. Um, and so this video, I mean, coming into Saturday, it still wasn't done. Coming into Monday, it still wasn't done. And I'm checking in, and how close are we, how close are we? And I'm thinking, okay, I've got this contingency plan in my mind Monday night, I can stay till 3 if I need to, you know. I want to, but I can stay till 3 if I need to. And Monday night, they were just like this close. It's like, hey, you know what? It's going to be done tomorrow morning. Just go home. We're, we're good. It'll, we'll be good. So yesterday came and went, and we're at this dinner last night, and it's 11.30, and I leave this dinner, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go check on this video. And it's still not done. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And um, so I said, Okay, move over. <laughs> and I sat down in the chair, and I sat there and worked for two hours to finish this video. 
And in the process of working on this, I said, now, how, are you, how have you been doing this? Oh, I've been doing... Uh, no, that's not... No, don't do that. And uh, just one little thing, but, but, but think with me for this. To, when you get done with these videos, you have to render them. So you have to output this file that goes to your desktop or wherever, and then that's the file you burn onto a DVD or you put on the network or wherever you're going to play it from. And so I said to the person doing the videos, I said, because I noticed his rendering times were just enormous, 30 minutes, 20 minutes for short videos, which is ridiculous. I said, well, how are you doing this? And, he's, and then I said, are you rendering these like to the network, over the network? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I said, no wonder everything's so slow. Some people are gifted at taking a five-minute job and making it a five-hour job. <laughs> really, some people are just gifted at dinkering around with all the possibilities, but never finishing, you know. And uh, that's what happened. And, and I said, no, 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 watch. And when we got done with this video, I said, now watch this. And I went render, and I exported it, and I said, we're going to go to your desktop. And then, boom, ten minutes, it's done. And that would have been an hour, hour and a half rendering job over the network. You know, ten minutes it's done. I said, see? He's like, oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, let me put you in a headlock. No. Um, but your team is going to be roadblocked. And they're going to they're gonna hit a they're gonna hit a wall, and you're the problem solver. You're the one to go and say, hey, let's do this instead. No need to cry. No need to get upset. No need to get frustrated. Let's enjoy serving the Lord. It's really not that big of a deal. Let's do it differently. Let's change it. And you become chief problem solver when you have a team. So I hope that will be an encouragement to you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. This lesson was entitled Training Effective Youth Workers with Brother Kerry Schmidt. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.